Okay, so uh, running the race. You know, I want to start with um, the entire, it's, it's small, so you may not read it, but we, it's a Christmas story when uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, I mean, Joseph and Mary moved to Bethlehem. And I'll just read from Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, decree that sent the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, uh, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, why? Why does this happen like this? Jesus is to be born. God could have just said, okay, the census will happen, you know, six months later or five months earlier. Why at that time? That they have to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem while Mary is at that stage of her pregnancy. And then, okay, we've shifted. We've come with uncomfortable journey. A room? There could have been a room being made available for them. But why? Why? There was no room available for them. Then, for the Son of God to be born in such an unhygienic place with animals all around. You know, why? Have you ever thought of why? But it's a question that comes up when we look at the... When we come to Christmas, we look and say, So cute. This is the Son of God. You would not do that with your own child. This is the Son of God. And it's shocking. It's actually shocking that the Lord had to go through all this. And the question comes to me that, why does this happen? Then after that, we know that the wise men came. The wise men came and they worshipped him. And I, like I was saying in the first service, uh, you know, if the wise men were women, they would have continually asked for directions. How to go, how to go, how to go. Men don't ask directions. And when they ask, they ask the wrong person. So they go to Herod. And they say, you know, like, what's this? And Herod says, oh, there's a child to be, king to be born. Oh, come back and tell me where he is. I want to go and worship him. And then God warns them, say, what, y'all fellows? Go the other way now. Okay? And Herod goes and he kills all the babies under two years of age. Why? I mean, what purpose did those wise men serve? Yeah, they came and gave some gifts to Jesus and things like that. But God could have provided in any way. But so many children were killed because those wise men came. Why did that have to happen? Why is there so much pain? What's the reason for first Joseph and Mary to come with so much hardship, not find a place? Then you have these wise men coming in and the whole city now is in a mess because so many children have been killed. And then just before that, you know, Joseph and Mary would be thinking, you know, when you get an unexpected blessing, oh, God has provided. Now we've got enough money for next few years. Our troubles are taken care of. And then you go to sleep thinking, ah, life is good. And God says, get up, run. Flee in the dead of the night and go where? Not to a place where you know people, but go to Egypt, where you don't know anybody. New customs, new rules, different language, different culture. Go there and stay. I've made provision for you. Take it and go. Just when I thought life was getting easier and better, there comes another twist. And uncomfortable pain all over again. And You actually wonder, I mean... I know if this would be happening to me, my wife would look at me and say, are you sure God is speaking this time? I mean, no fault of her. Because like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you're just shifting every time. Are you sure? What are we going to do in Egypt? Like, you know, why? Why all this? And then after a few years, you know where God tells them to go back to? Where you started, Nazareth. 
You left from Nazareth, went to Bethlehem, Bethlehem to Egypt, now go away. Now if I was going to come back, why go this loop? I don't understand any of this. What, what is the reason? And Matthew 2, 13-15 says, When they had gone, this is when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Everything that happened was because of a plan. That Jesus was born in Bethlehem is because Hosea, uh, Micah said it in chapter 5 that he would come out of Bethlehem. Uh, Jeremiah 31 talks of the entire city weeping because of the death. Hosea 11 says, out of Egypt I will call my son. And Isaiah 11 says, he will be called Nazarene. Come back to Nazareth. Sometimes when we are with our nose in what's happening around us, we don't see God's plan. But right through this entire drama and confusion and everything happening so fast suddenly that you don't know whether you don't have time to breathe. This, you just when you're settling down, you have to get up and move. And it's readjusting and there's so much of inconvenience. But right through it all, there was God's provision, there was God's protection, and there was God's plan. Never were they out of that. Why? Because they listened. They moved when they had to move. They stayed when they were told to stay. As they paid attention and obeyed and, and, and moved where God was calling them to move, they saw his hand of provision, protection. And God is always working. He's always working. It's we sometimes who don't see it. But he is always, always working. When you step back and look at your life and the years gone by, you know, I've, I've shared earlier... We may go on for a little extra time. Is that okay? By four o'clock? <laughs> I didn't say we'll finish at four. I just said... <laughs> yeah. When I look back at my life, when I look back in the journey I've come, it's such a shock for me to see how the Lord has brought a guy who used to drink and smoke and could not speak a sentence clearly uh, without using foul language and out here. I had a fear of speaking in public. I could not speak when four or five people stopped and said to me, you're, you're saying something, I should start perspiring. Because I had that fear. But the Lord has brought me. When we obey, when we walk where God is calling us to walk, He is faithful. He is faithful to provide. There's enough of grace to carry on, to be victorious. Not to somehow survive, but to come out victorious on the other side. Amen? Amen? Amen. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, one of the reasons we always struggle is because when, we, when, some, when an incident happens, when situations come our way, what is the one word that comes up? Why? Because praise God would be two words. Okay, so, <laughs> so it is why. Why? We always ask ourselves why. And the reason we ask ourselves why is we look for information. We are looking for an answer. Why is this happening, Lord? We ask God this question as if to say information would help us. Would information help? I don't know. Because Habakkuk, we, we, when, I, when I spoke last time, I spoke about Habakkuk. Habakkuk goes and tells God, Lord, you are a holy God. We sang today, you are holy. Your eyes cannot see injustice. Your eyes cannot see corruption. Your eyes cannot see the poor taken advantage of. Look what's happening in your holy city. The wicked are prospering. The law has come to a standstill. 
There's injustice happening. What are you going to do about it? And Lord said, come, I'll tell you. And then he makes him stand there and says, this is what I'm going to do. You think this is bad? This is what I'm going to do now. And Habakkuk writes in chapter 3, the last part, he says, when I got this information, I'm just paraphrasing, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He says, I got to hear stuff that I wished I was dead. I could not take this. Okay, information always does not help. But Habakkuk, after this verse, continues writing. He doesn't stop here and said, oh, the situation was so, I wish I was dead. But he says, but even though the fig tree failed to blossom and there's no cattle in the stall, still I will rejoice in the Lord. For he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. How could he say that? Information didn't... Yeah, he's saying, information doesn't help me. I feel like I should be dead. But what helps him is when he sees the nature and promises of God. He says, but you will carry us through. Whatever may happen, you will never leave us or forsake us. Because that's your promise. You would send a deliverer. That's your promise. You would lift us up and get us on the other side because that's your promise. And hence, I will rejoice. It is because Habakkuk sees who God is. Not just looks at the situation. Not just looks at what's happening. Not just looks at what is to come. But he sees who God is. Who was, who is and is to come. And his security is there. It's not in some wish or hope or desire. It's in this living God. And hence he can say, and thus I rejoice. And it's the same with Christ. When Christ walked this earth, he was ridiculed. He was made fun of. He was challenged by the people who were supposed to know who he was. See, these are God's chosen people. Christ was not sent to a strange land who did not have the word of God. He was sent to people who had the word of God. He was sent to them and he comes to them and they say, By what authority do you teach? Can you do this on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are? How do you talk to us like this? They were planning on trapping him with clever schemes and say, aha, there we got you. They did not recognize him. It's like we are here today. We are singing songs of praise. We are worshiping God. And if Jesus walks in and he starts saying something, you'll say, did you get the permission of the pastor to come and preach? There's a rota. You don't know that. Who are you to come and speak? Would anyone say that? I would wonder like today so-and-so is supposed to be. Who's this guy? I don't recognize him. But are we looking at faces or are we looking at what God is saying? Can you understand what Jesus walked through? He was supposed to be known, but he was actually killed by those people. But why did he go through this? He still went through this knowing with full security. Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured that cross. What was this joy? It's the joy of pleasing the father of many, hundreds of thousands of millions of people coming to know God once again. For the joy set before him, he endured that cross. You know, uh, it's very interesting. that Jesus, he keeps his eyes on the father to the one who gives peace in the midst of the storm. And yet it's the one who, God is the one who made him walk through that storm. 
Isaiah had said, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Jesus knows that his father is making him walk this way. But he is rejoicing because it's not the situation, it's not the crushing, it's not the humiliation, it's not, the, it's not his physical, mental, emotional pain that is his focus. It's that, is the Lord pleased? Yes or no? Is, if I can answer that clearly, I know where I'm walking. Where are we today? If you look at your life and ask yourself the simple question, is the Lord pleased? Only two options, yes and no. What will you answer? I know very clearly where I'll answer. And I fall, I've got a very biblical answer for that. It says, for all of us have fallen short. <laughs> so I'm walking a very Bible-based life. <laughs> I've fallen short. But praise be to God, I don't have to be there. Because he lifts me up. Like that word deeper, he comes and he lifts us up. How, what is my answer? Where am I choosing to walk? Where am I choosing to keep my eyes? Where am I running? You know, the, the Pharisees got... Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm jumping. Where am I? Christ walked this way of constantly honoring God in everything that he was, all that his... His thought processes, his decisions, his actions, all were answering the simple question, is God glorified in this, yes or no? And we are invited today to keep our eyes fixed. In Hebrews 12, it says, verses 1 to 3, Therefore, since we are, so, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, we read the prophets and they, they've got dreams. You saw Joseph also, he, had, he got dreams. They get dreams, they get visions, they read the word of God, they hear God. We have the privilege of fixing our eyes on Christ. He can open our eyes to let him see him, know him identify him and walk with him. He identifies with all that we go through. We have this privilege. Here's the question. Where is our focus? Where is our focus when life throws, you know, like Mary and Joseph? Suddenly things happen. Where, are, where is our focus? Are we persevering in the race? Are we fixing our eyes on that finish line and running? You know, in a race, when you run a race, you can't run a race. How many of you all have been athletes? Who run races? Yeah, very few. Get fit, man. <laughs> Not that I run anymore, but <laughs> yeah. But when you run a race, you can't run a race if your eyes are on the stands and you have to run this side. You'll keep running like this. You can't run a race if you're looking behind to see what the people behind are doing. You'll, you'll trip and fall. You can't run a race waving out at everyone who says, Come on, Max. Hey. You can't run a race. You can run a race well only if your eyes are fixed on where you have to finish off. When you play a game, play football or hockey or anything, when you play a game, your motive of playing a game, unless you're like certain football teams which I support, your motive of playing a game is not that I should not lose. Your motive is to win. <laughs> okay, your motive, you don't go there saying, how best can I defend? Your motive is how do I Make every effort to play my best game and win. Your focus is on coming victorious on the other side, not on 
I must not trip. Oh, I must not fall. Is that our Christian walk? I must not sin. I must not do this. I must not do that. You know, the Pharisees were exactly like that. The Pharisees never planned to do wrong. They never made their rules and regulations to say, let us make sure everybody is miserable. But they said, to be able to live a good godly life, you have to do all this and woe to you if you don't do it. So everyone was under pressure. They were so focused on doing the right thing that when the Lord came there, they didn't recognize him. They had no delight in him. No pleasure in the, in the Lord. They did not rejoice. Because there's a Sabbath. Oh, you clapped your hands five times, you can only clap four. Oh, you walked so much. That, no, you should have a church hall closer to yours. You can't walk so much. They were so focused on all that. Is God really happy if you clap four and not five times? No, he says no. <laughs> they were so focused on doing that, they missed out on the joy. Where are we? Where are we? Are we focused on ticking the boxes always that we miss out in this relationship? We miss out in just keeping our eyes fixed. This verse tells us that Jesus is the author, the beginner, and, the, he, and he's the end. He is there. The, the finish line is Christ. We have to reflect him. You know, in the first service, uh, Serena got a word. And she said, uh, some of us are walking ankle deep in water, but the Lord invites us to submerge ourselves in Him. Not even needy, but submerge ourselves in Him. And it just struck me that, you know, if I'm ankle deep in water, can you see me? You can see the water and you can see me. If I go knee deep, can you see me and see the water? If I go neck deep, can you see me and see the water? But if I'm submerged, can you see me? Only water. How am I walking in Christ? Am I completely submerged? Wherein when people look at me, when people look at me, do they see Christ or do they still see me? How am I walking? Am I keeping my eyes fixed? That that finish line is me reflecting him. How am I persevering towards that? Am I getting distracted with every shop that sets itself up on a corner and says, here are some goodies for you. And I stop and I, yeah, 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 I'll have some child, uh, eat something. And, and then belly turn and someone says, oh, there's something else. And I'll stop and do something. Am I, is my walk like this and like this and like this and instead of going straight? I may be headed in the right direction, but I'm not even walking ankle deep. Our call is to be submerged. Keep our eyes fixed on him. Reflect him completely. Our goal is to reflect his presence completely. I want to end with, you know, there's this, uh, in 1954, uh, those days, uh, athletics, the athletic events used to be calculated not in meters, but in miles. Not in meters and kilometers, but in miles. So there was the, the, the mile race. The, the, the mile was not run under four minutes yet. It was still run above four minutes. And in 1954, they felt that there was this guy, Roger Bannister, who may break that four-minute barrier. And in um, May, 6th of May, he ran the mile in 3 minutes, 59 seconds, 59 point something seconds. And it was the first time anyone had run the mile under 4 minutes. And there was great rejoicing. The Britisher had been able to break this barrier. A month later in June, an Australian, John Landy, broke that record. And uh, uh, while Bannister ran it in 3.59 point something, he ran it in 3.58 point. He broke broke the world record by over a second. So this happened in May, then in June, and in August was the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. Those days it used to be called the Empire Games. So it would be the first time that the British and Australian were running together. And there was great anticipation how would this race turn out to be. 
And uh, the race began. It was called the Miracle Mile because these two world, the, the two guys who have broken the four-minute barrier would be running together. So the race began and John Landy was in front. Okay, He, he took the lead and uh, Roger Bannister was about 10 yards behind him, 10 meters behind him in the middle of the race. And uh, John Landy is running well and they come to the, and slowly but surely, Bannister is coming closer and closer and closer. But John Landy is not focusing. He's not aware of what's happening around him. He's just running. And he comes to the final turn. And as he's taking the turn, he looks to his left to see if anybody's there. And at that time, Roger Bannister overtakes him from the right. And uh, he looks to the left and then he sees and he gets a shock and he loses half a stride. And that is enough. He's lost that half a stride. He lost the race. And he said after the race, very humorously, Lot's wife looked behind and she became a pillar of salt. <laughs> I looked behind, I lost the race also. <laughs> and that stadium in Vancouver made a bronze image of two of these athletes, of him looking behind and Roger Bannister rising, right, running to his head. He's saying, at least I looked behind, I became a statue of bronze. <laughs> He's a very humorous guy. But here's the interesting thing. During the race, they asked Roger Bannister, how did you manage to cover 10 yards? It's a huge distance in a race because that guy is not walking. He's running faster than you. He's in front of you. He says, I focused on his back. And from his back, there was that imaginary cord that was coming to me. And every step, I tried to pull that cord. That I would get closer and closer to him. And he says, I did not look left. I did not look right. My focus was only on his back and to pull that cord. And as I came closer, I knew it was, I was able to do this. And when he looked to his left, I knew my moment had come. And I overtook him. Here's an interesting thing. He's telling us of his effort. We can't pull ourselves closer to Christ. If we could, he didn't have to come. But our is in releasing. Our walk is in releasing. In submitting to him completely. And saying, yes Lord, you pull me to you. You pull me to you. That I may reflect your presence clearly. We are called, unlike John Landy, we are called to be aware of what's happening around us. Jesus if you read the Gospels, he's always saying, be alert, be alert. He's not saying, relax, take it easy, close your eyes, don't worry. He's saying, be alert, the enemy is prowling. We should know what's happening around us. We can't look at that time to see what's happening. We need to be alert. We need to constantly pray. We need to seek God's presence. We need to study his word. We need to know. You know, Lyndon's talking about uh, Romans. We need to study his word. We need to get a fresh revelation of who he is so that we are aware of things around us. But our focus has to be the goal. Our focus doesn't have to be, oh, that grass is not good here. Oh, no. no, it has to be, am I reflecting Christ? Am I reflecting Christ? Am I reflecting Christ as a husband? That when I'm with my spouse, I am like Christ serves the church. Am I? Am I submitting to my spouse as a wife? Am I? Am I serving, you know, Vino is talking of Scott and Susan, talking of how we can take the gospel out. Am I serving people wherever I go? Am I being able to reflect Christ in my work, in my college? Wherever I go, am I reflecting Christ? Or am I showing people how good I am? Where am I? But today I want us to, you know, am I finished here? What I want us to do is, I want to have just a couple of, you know, we just want to surrender our lives. I want to sing this song, Change My Heart, O oh God. I want to just surrender our lives and say, Lord, I can't change my heart, but you can. Can you make me more like you? Yeah? 
I want us to like stand up and sing this song and then I want to pray. And if you want to say, yes, Lord, I want to reflect you in every area of my life. I want you to be glorified. It's not understanding that will help me. I don't want you to explain to me what's happening. I just want to reflect you. We just agree with the prayers that we make and then we could uh, close, yeah? Lord Jesus, we stand before you this day and we say, on our own, we can't do it. You know that better than us. We want to surrender our lives, Lord. See, it starts with our heart. It's not about what we just do, but it's about why we do it. So Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you that in everything that we are and we do, you would be glorified. And so Lord, we lay down. We lay down, not just situations today. We don't just lay down situations, but we lay ourselves down. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, take over. Cause us to walk where you want us to walk. We may not understand the path, but ours is not to understand. Cause us to walk where you're calling us to walk. Be who you're calling us to be. Speak to whom you're calling us to speak. Pray with whom you're calling us to pray with. That our lives would not be focused on our comfort, much like Joseph and Mary. Our lives are not focused on our comfort, but it's in obeying your will. That your word, your plan comes to pass. Our lives would not be based on information like Habakkuk may have wanted but on your promises and your character like Habakkuk saw. And our lives would be Lord Jesus like you who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. That truly we would Lord walk to give you pleasure in all that we are and all that we do. Be glorified in our lives Lord. That is what we seek. Make this prayer in your name Lord Jesus. Amen.